Welcome to KC Corner, episode 41. Pretty 41. typical Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. A normal Wednesday. Just completely normal, you Hump know. Day. Nothing's happening. Nothing at all, you know. <laughs> hey, we might not know who the next president of the United States is right now after Election Day, but here's what we do know, Brooks. We do know who is the reigning and ruling today and forever King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus that's good news. That is great news. Amen. Amen. And it's a special episode, too. We have a special guest. We have a very special guest, and I'm so excited. It's like, uh, you know, that big present under the tree you want to open up first, mm-hmm. but you got to do the stockings and a couple other things. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll get to a special guest. <laughs> People will be like, who is it? Yeah, exactly. Keep them on the edge of their seat. It might be one of the presidential candidates. That's all we want to say. <laughs> it also <laughs> might be in the title of this podcast. So it, it, it that's, true. that's true. <laughs> um, so let's jump right into it. Last week, the Lamb of God. Hey, what I meant to say, and Brooks, you know, God's word, absolutely amazing. And can you say that he has some high water marks? But when you think of Genesis 22, it just drips with this foreshadowing of what is to come and that God would give us his own son, the Passover lamb, uh, to rescue us. But, you know, what I really hope to say, it was it was kind of in the midst of how I hope to say it, mm-hmm. you know, wrestling with this great story that has such depth, breadth, beauty, and you know, and you don't want to mess it up. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, <laughs> you know, how do I say it? And I really felt led that uh, how to say it is kind of through a herm- uh, hermeneutical tool of, ooh, big word. Wow, we're pulling out all the stops here, aren't we? I was just talking about the story, the bigger story, and the ultimate story. And a lot of people read the Bible and they just know the story. They'll just read the words and, hey, what does this say? But if you dig deeper and if you really want to know more, you're going to look at the bigger story. And the bigger story would, would ask the question, who were the original people reading or hearing this and what did it mean to them? Mm-hmm. And if you could put yourself in their sandals, I want to say shoes, but probably more risky. They're Nikes. They're Nikes. They're, they're uh, Nike Air sandals. You know? uh, they must have maybe been like that because remember when God's people wandered in the desert, their sandals didn't wear out. So oh, yeah. They're, they're real nice. They were high quality. They were not like something coming out of China that was a low quality product. You know? The sweatshop Nikes. <laughs> That's right. But anyway, when you put yourself in their, their sandals, you realize the bigger story. What did this mean for God's people who had left Egypt and they were headed to the promised land? They were more familiar with that Passover story and the giving of the firstborn son to God and, um, and you know, what that actually meant. And so uh, it just kind of broadens the story. And then you see the ultimate story, which we always need to do through Scripture, with, which really is, how does this point to Jesus? How does this fulfilled in Jesus? How... How has he kind of this shine the, the light of the Christ and the cross on this uh, and what comes to light? And uh, I think, you know, we, we often, if we just read the story, we miss the bigger story. Um, if we just jump to the gospel story, the ultimate story, which is good. Again, I think we miss a little bit of context. So what I meant to say was, how do you say it? But, you know, the bottom line is, is that God is going to provide us a son, just like Abraham was offered, was asked to offer his son, nothing more than what God would do. He gave us his only begotten son. And, and as Abraham said to his son, laughter, Isaac, hey, God will provide the ram. Wow. Did, did God provide the lamb of God? And the true Passover lamb of God is Jesus. And uh, one who's a substitute for us. That's just absolutely amazing. And then God will provide the place, Jehovah Jireh, the place of his blessing. And so that's really what I meant to say was uh, um, this is just so clearly points to Jesus. It so clearly points to the love the Father has for us. And um, 
you know, it's just such a great story. Yeah, it's been really cool learning about the context of some of these Old Testament stories, then also in the KC groups, um, going through the Tim Keller video series. Oh, it's been he's great. providing the context of some of the parables and verses that he's going over. So it's really interesting to learn about, like who it was written for and during that time, and then also in the ultimate story, like you said, how it applies to the day. You know, and it, you know, I got to it last week, Brooks, and I. You get to the point sometimes you read the commentaries and you, you really feel God's leading you somewhere. And I, I wound up calling uh, Richard Pratt was like a hero of mine and my favorite professor at Reformed Theological Seminary. He's now the president and CEO or some fancy title (laughs) of a ministry he started called Third Mill, uh, Third Millennial Ministries, which provides a Christian education for the world for free. But he's a scholar and I'm not. I'm a preacher, he's a scholar. And sometimes when a preacher is stepping into those scholarly realms, I think I mentioned (laughs) I was watching YouTube videos of of a, of a rabbi talk about Genesis 22. And, you know, I was certainly getting a lot of the bigger story, mm-hmm. but he completely missed the ultimate story. And so I was starting to get, get some momentum thinking, Hey, I want to unpack this, but I wanted to make sure from one of my heroes that from Richard, Hey, I'm not, I'm not creating this story. I'm not seeing something that's not here. Right. And mm-hmm. so that's, you know, when I always, when I preach, I'll never preach without saying, God, what's not of you may it fall away because you know, you're opening up God's word. Mm-hmm. And I love what Psalm 119 will remind us that the unfolding of God's word brings light. Uh, and it also it gives uh, uh, wisdom, insight uh, to the simple. And so what a great opportunity that is. But anyway, um, it was a great story and I love preaching it. And hey, we have more people at church Sunday. Yeah, that's good. right. That's right. Uh, okay, uh, folks out there in Casey Cornerland, come on out back out. We're safe. <laughs> We're opening We're back up. It's like, it's just great. So what do we have to look forward to this coming week? Another great week. Uh, what I hope to say, and to be honest with you, uh, I'm not ready to say it. Let me just say it now. You know, uh, somebody may have been up really late last night watching TV. And uh, somebody... it's all right. You're getting dinner with your uh, brother. And I dad, did do so that too. I drove over to Lakeland, had dinner with my dad and my brother, which was great. But uh, what we're going to look at is this: we're going to look at uh, actually Jacob. We've looked at Abraham. We saw Isaac, and now Jacob, the big triad. And it's a time of his life, Jacob. Uh, was a schemer, and I could relate to schemers. Even in his name, it's one who who literally wrestled uh, in the womb with his brother. And Jacob is about to face his greatest fear, and that's his brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, but before he faces his greatest fear, he's got to wrestle with God. And I think in life we're going to face fears that we never want to face, and it's until we really can wrestle and understand God. And in that wrestle, he he realized his faith and his weakness. So. What I hope to say, and I got a long way to go to plan for this, is uh, um, he's going to totally wing it on Sunday. I am going to be like, holy cow! Maybe download a Tim Keller sermon, and here we go. But no, but seriously, um, you know, I think even through this election, no matter what happens, there's a lot of fear, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, I, I feel like you know we live in a time, and God's number one commandment: do not fear. And so, but what does it mean for us not to fear because we have a grasp on Him? That's what I hope to say. Mm-hmm. So are we ready to reveal our? Yeah, can guess? we? Have, is there a drum roll? Can we? Can we insert? <laughs> <laughs> we may just have to cut that. Part. I don't know. No, you can't. That, was, that was quality drum roll. Uh, yeah, we have a very special guest, and her name is Barbara Carpenter. Now, before you turn the mic over to oh, okay, her, okay, okay, I just wanted to connect something to you. And so, um, what is the greatest cable TV show ever created? That uh, on, on TV, the it, office. It, it, sorry. <laughs> oh gosh, that was zero for one. Sports, so, sports. Okay. So what cable network came out that changed the world forever? ESPN. ESPN. 
So uh, ESPN, I remember its launch because I'm old and you're young and you have no idea. But when it launched, um, it had a couple of uh, Chris Berman, um, Bob Lee, uh, some of the big names early on. And and there was a guy named Tom Meese. And Tom Meese uh, was one of the first hockey. I love it because he he was uh, over hockey. Um, They actually had the contract for the NHL for a little while back then. So he did some commentating and... uh, Tragically, I'm sad to say he lost his life. He drowned. And uh, um, but his sister is here. So this is Barbara Carpenter. So really? Her, so Barbara's connection to you and to the world is she's not only phenomenal, fantastic, and she's famous of and of herself. It's her brother, kind of was a trailblazer. <laughs> Tom is as well. So all right, I got her laughing already. All right, if you can transfer over, but let me let me connect Barbara to to my life, which is a, a such a fun connection to me. Uh, Barbara Carpenter uh, married Mike Carpenter, married into the Carpenter f- uh, family, which, uh, by the way, they are carpenters. Isn't that a great thing? You want to be carpenters, name Carpenter. Um, and he is from God's country, the greatest place ever of upstate New York and New Hartford, New York. And your mother-in-law, Barbara, is really like a mom to me. We talked about that this weekend. I know she's been like a mom she's to you. She's a mom to me as well. Yeah, and to many. She's, uh, she's amazing. So, yeah, the Carpenters are a great part of King's Chapel and... Such a blessing to have you all here. It's I, I can't tell you the joy and the friendship just to have you guys here and to know the story. So, uh, so grateful. Okay, Barbara, you got us doing something uh, over the Christmas uh, season, which I'm so excited about. So I want to start off with, um, and there's a lot more to unpack, but let's just start off. What are we doing again this Christmas season? Can you tell us a little bit about what we're doing? And then I'm going to ask you who we're doing it for. So start off by just telling us the nuts and bolts. What are we doing this Christmas season. So we are going to partner with a local organization um, that supports the foster youth in Seminole County. Okay. And the first project that we're going to partner with them on is they call it their Secret Santa program. We're going to call it the Secret Jesus program. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Secret Santa is fine. Um, so yeah, so we're starting out with that in our partnership with them. That's going to be our first uh, joint effort together. Okay. And what that encompasses is uh, King's Chapel has graciously committed to adopting, as it were, 40 of the foster children that are placed in foster care in Seminole County. Um, to provide them with a Christmas gift or two or three, some depending. Um, so, so for some of these kids, this is going to be the only gift that they get this holiday season. Right. Um, it's it's a tough thing, you know, when you're suddenly, and for these kids, that's what it is. They are suddenly removed from their family. A lot of times they have no idea what happened mm-hmm. and why, but kids have an inheritance inherent ability to somehow make it their fault yeah and that is the thing that just crushes me um we put them in as safe a place as we can find but make no mistake the foster system is a very broken system Mm. it is not where you want to ever find your kids Mm. as good as there are out there for homes for respite it's just not their home. It's not their home. It's yeah. not their mom. It's not their dad. And they don't even care what their mom or dad did to cause this to happen. They, they love them regardless. And they just want to be with their mom and dad. Oh, man, that's a heartache. It hey, is. And we also get to bring stockings. You also got some stockings. Yes. Right? Um, so gifts is one aspect of what we're doing. But I learned through this organization that they had at one time another partner church that had made a commitment to do 100 mini stockings, 50 for boys and 50 for girls, 
um, that they could distribute to to the children as well. And that church had to pull back on that ministry. So they were without the support in that area. And they asked us if we could also help out with that as well. So we have said we would try to take that on. A hundred of those. And 40 um, presents. Come yeah. on, here we go, King's Chapel. Well, we can do it. And you know, it's it's really, it's easy. I think at the holiday time, most people look for a way to do something somewhere to be a blessing to somebody and this is a really simple thing and if you pull an angel from the tree you don't we don't even want you to wrap the gift right just bring the gift back with the angel very important um in a bag so the angel stays with the gift so the angel is the identifier of which child gets that gift we do not want you to wrap the gift there's reasons for that which i don't need to go into as far as the stockings go we have little stockings that have a list on each one, one for the boy, one for the girl, of thought starter ideas of things you might want to get to be placed in a stocking. You don't need to buy the stocking. King's Chapel is going to supply the stocking, and we're going to take responsibility for putting them together. We just need the items to put in the stocking. Fantastic. So if you put the items in a bag, again with the stocking, so we can see if it was boy or girl, so we make sure that it gets labeled properly. It sounds to me, Barbara, and this is what a pastor loves about someone like you, is that it's been made easy. It sounds like uh, there's a tree in, in our foyer as you come in on Sunday. There is an angel with a name of a child with some what, what they're requesting on that tree. Um, there's also some stockings that you, as you said, you have made uh, with a list of things to get. We will provide the stocking. You know, it's, it sounds... It sounds like you've really thought through this. And again, we have our part. You've done a great job getting us ready. Um, and these are going to, uh, golly, you couldn't have more kids in need or, or to bless than these. Is that correct? Well, yes. And let's remember Christmas is not just about Jesus, but it really is for the kids. Yeah. Even though some <laughs> of us are big kids and love it just as much. Yeah. Um, so we really want to make sure that these kids have some kind of normalcy. That's, I agree. So we have the the, the paper cutout stockings that are going to be on the table at the base of the tree, mm-hmm. the angel tree, right. which will be on the table as you enter into the church. So um, if you feel inspired to take an angel, if there's any left, please take one. Um, please take a stocking. We still have a great need for, yeah. for the stockings. You know, and I think that we as a church plant have stretched it. I mean, it was great because I know when we talked about doing this and said, okay, how many, stu- how many, how many people, how many yeah. students or how many uh, children do we uh, kind of adopt? I mean, so we picked 40 I mean, and it was like, okay, well, I think our membership is at 63, about, about to, uh, add about 20 more through the KC family connection, which you, Mike, and your mother-in-law are part of Yahoo. Yes. Um, and you realize, okay, you know, that's uh, about half our congregation. And then with a hundred stockings, I mean, there's a, there's, listen, if you're listening and you're part of King's Chapel, we need you to do this and to be a part of this. And the great thing is that this will be a, a greater blessing to you. It always is. Scripture tells us it's greater blessing to give than to receive. And, and by the way, when Barbara said that Christmas wasn't just about Jesus, it's about the kids. She really meant to say that Christmas is all about Jesus and his gift to us goes through the kids. And so well said, Barbara, really good. <laughs> well done there. So, but Barbara, you know, um, I so appreciated having Jim Hill come and share uh, on Sunday and hearing about him and uh, his ministry, friends of abused children in Seminole County that we're kind of partnering with. But to me, Barbara, I knew I, I saw the presentation before it came up and 
I knew what we were happening, uh, what was happening. And as a pastor, I had that hat on of, okay, we got communion today. I have a sermon I got to preach and, and uh, we still got to sing some songs. And so um, I knew it was coming. I was excited. I was kind of more in the task mode, but to see you up there and to see your heart and, you know, you, you being emotional, you being connected to this um, really just was so compelling and, it was like, wow, I mean, there, there's there's ministry opportunities. And then this is clearly important. And you said something that was uh, profound. You said, um, hey, these kids have saved my life. Or you said something along. That's, that's what I said. Okay. Because uh, they have. They saved your life. And you said, hey, I don't have time right now. And I respect you saying that because you know that I was probably giving you the eye like, oh, hey, you know, hey, <laughs> well, we got some time. Well, <laughs> yeah, there would not have been enough time. That's why I said it's another story for another day. Well, can you start that story today? I mean, and again, I, I, I don't want to put you on the spot too much. And if this is not the time, but I know a, a little bit of your story. Okay, I probably know a lot of your story, but um, and it's a beautiful story of redemption. So I think that it would be really impactful, if you don't mind. Tell, tell us, how have these kids, um, these foster kids these uh, these those that are in such need how'd they save your life well i think first it's really important to start with the why okay. why, why did i end up in this place why did i end up with these children right and uh, yes i think that's good and, I, and wanted I have to announce that. i do if you'll indulge me i have you you know because you and i have spoken and i told you i'm working on a book about the story right and, it, and it's still a work in progress mm. but i have a page i'd like to read that i think will the listeners will at least understand the I why. I think that would be great. Is that all right? Uh, yeah, of if course. If I can do that. And you are a guardian ad litem. Is I that, am. Is I'm... that going to be coming up in that story as well? Is that is not that in this of... page, but in the story? Yes, okay. the guardian ad litem. That is my connection. Such a great to thing. the kids. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. So it starts out like this. This is going to be the introduction into the book. Okay. It's the phone call no parent ever wants to get. The phone call that every parent fears. It's the phone call that instantly throws you and everything that you thought you knew about life swirling out of control. It's the phone call so horrific that unless it happens to you, you cannot even begin to imagine what it really feels like to get that call. On the other end of the phone is a stranger's voice asking for for you at 3.30 in the morning, and you know it's bad. You ask, you almost demand to know who he is, even though in your gut you know. He identifies himself as a homicide detective from Orange County, and you let out a scream from so deep within your soul, it could cause the ocean to rise to the heavens. You throw the phone across the room as if that would change the reality of the phone call. And in that instant, my son was gone, my life changed forever, and I would never be the same person that I was up until that moment. And that's how my journey through pain to forgiveness began on February 23rd of 2013. Wow. You know, that's a that's a phone call. You're right that none of us would ever. I mean, that's our biggest nightmare. And I think I don't know if you can ever categorize nightmares, but mm-hmm. to have uh, to lose a, a child is I can't imagine anything worse in, in life. Um, um, I, again, it helps me so appreciate the gospel that God would give a child give a son to us to to make all things new but to tragically lose him i mean you know there's i, I don't know if there's any less pain if it was a car accident i don't know if there's any pain if it was something no. else but a loss is a loss probably not and your sermon really hit home last mm. week 
Um, mm. Give me your firstborn son because it was my firstborn mm. son. Okay. And I had to sacrifice that. I had no say in that. Mm. Um, ironically, when you introduced me today and you talked about my brother, my brother died at age 46. He drowned, as you mentioned. I thought, you know, I lost a brother that day and I really thought I understood the pain my mom was suffering. Mm. I know now, and she's gone. Mm. I lost her before I lost my son. Mm. I wish I had the chance to just hug her and say, mm. I had no idea. Yeah. No idea. You know, and again, I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist, but I think a mom's pain is unique to even a father's pain. I mean, I mean, different. Different. That's probably, probably a good way to say yeah. it. You know, yeah. there's some. I know Michael's pain is deep. Oh, and, absolutely. And, and all these years later, you know, seven and a half years later, both of us, we still have our bad days. Sure. Um, but we deal with it differently sure. because yeah. we are different. And, and we, you know, it just, it is going to, just the male-female aspect of yeah, it. Yeah, just carrying that gonna, child yeah. for nine months. Yep. I mean, that's, you know, I was, I was with a, a KC a King's Chapel member for lunch yesterday, one of our board members, and we absolutely have the joy of our, our kids being married. Uh, JP's married to Kyla. It was right. Lyndon Madomo. And um, I was telling him about the fact, I was rubbing in the fact that uh, our daughter Jessie's about to have twins and yeah. we're going to have three. And we, they, you know, on JP's side, he doesn't have any yet, you know. Yeah. And we were talking about, you know, how did the women have to suffer and carry the child for so long and, and the things they had to do? But I know that there's the other side of that. I mean, mm. being a mom and being able yeah. to give birth and wow. Okay, so we've heard a little bit. Now yeah. tell us, how did these guys save your life? Well, um, from the moment I lost my son, I went numb. I want you to know, as my pastor, I was furious with God and Jesus. I hated them. Mm. I had no kind words, no kind thoughts. Mm. I blamed them completely. Mm -hmm. Because in my world, they were in control. And that's what they saw fit to do with my son. Mm. It was a very dark place sure. for three years. I stopped working. I had had a successful business. I was making a six-figure income. I traveled all over the world. Mm. Just stopped like you shut off a water faucet. Mm. I couldn't think. I couldn't eat. I couldn't function. I couldn't leave my house. Mm. I just found a spot on the couch and sat there mm. day in and day out mm. and did nothing. Mm. And finally, at some point, I'm not even sure when it was, a little voice said, you're at the fork in the road. Which way are you going to go? Because you can't live like this. You're mm. either out of here or you're fighting back. Mm. And you're finding a way. Mm. And I couldn't figure out what the first step was. I knew I couldn't go back to work. I could never be the person that I was. Sure. It wasn't an option. So I decided the only way was to try to figure out something I could do outside of the house to get me out of the house and get me to start interacting with humanity again. Mm. So I thought I would volunteer. So my first step was I got on the computer, I'm on the laptop and I was just Googling volunteer opportunities. My husband did put down one line. He said, you can't volunteer anything to do with animals because you'll bring them all home. <laughs> so 
It there sounds was, like my wife for yeah, sure. Yeah, there was that line in the sand. And of course, he knew me mm-hmm. very well to know that's where I was going to go. Sure. I was going to go to animal rescue. Absolutely. Yeah. Because animals do heal you. Yeah, so that was my sure. first inclination. He said, no, you can't do that. So I actually, you know, I thought, well, let me see what's out there. And I started investigating Ronald McDonald House. Hmm. And I kept thinking, oh, that, you know, what a great program. You know, I'll look into that. But the whole time I was trying to fill out the application online, I kept getting this stupid pop-up on the computer. And it kept saying CASA, CASA, C-A-S-A. House? That's what I kept saying. What? Go away. And every time I tried to close it, it would just pop up again in a different spot. And it would not leave me alone. Hmm. So I finally decided to open it. And CASA actually stands for Court Appointed Special Advocate. And that is what the guardian ad litem is nationally recognized as. I gotcha. And I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, fine. So I minimized it, put it away, did my thing, filled out my thing on the Ronald McDonald House. And then I said, let me go back and look at that and see what it is. And they had a little bit of a description in there. I knew it had something to do with kids. I didn't really understand what it was. But I'm. you want more information? So I filled out and I sent it in. Really gave it no other thought than that. Heard back from Ronald McDonald right away, went down there, interviewed. The lady said, oh, you'd be a great fit. Let me show you what some of the different opportunities are. And probably within just a couple of days later, she called me up and she said, actually, I'd like you to come down here, want to meet with you. And they offered me a full-time job. Well, there was no way. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was just learning how to get out the front door for an hour or two a day. And I told her, I said, you just don't know. I can't do this. So I had to totally step back from that because all of a sudden that felt like a pressure cooker that I wasn't prepared to deal with. Mm. So I just said, you know, maybe not the right fit and and kind of closed the door on that. And then I get the phone call from this CASA Mm. place, the volunteer organizer. And she said, you know, we have an information meeting on this day and time. Come and listen, see what you think. So I thought, okay. So off I went and I listened and it, I had never known anything about it before. It was very intriguing to me. I'd never looked into dealing with foster kids before. Wasn't sure what it meant, what it was about. But the thing that really fascinated me about it is that as a guardian ad litem, number one, you can do minimal work four hours a month or you can throw yourself into it 40 hours a month as a volunteer if you choose. Hmm. But it also involved being the voice of the child to the court. And what you probably don't know about me is I've worked for lawyers since I was 18 years old, and we won't discuss how old I am, but that's pretty much most of my life. And I love the law. Everyone always asks why I didn't become an attorney, and the easy answer is I didn't have the patience to sit through law school. Mm -hmm. But I love the law. They're my favorite type of movies and TV shows, and I still to this day, I work for lawyers. So Mm -hmm. I still love it. Um, So that caught my attention when they said, you're the voice of the child in court. I thought, ah. Something I can connect with. So that's what drew me into the Guardian Ad Litem program. Working with the foster kids, what I click, quickly learned was here I was a very broken parent who had lost their child. And here were these very broken children who had lost their parents. Hmm. And I was going to be, whatever case I took, I was committing to seeing that case through until its conclusion, which could be a minimum of 12 months to a maximum of no end in sight. Mm -hmm. And I have cases still ongoing now that are over three years old. So just to give you an idea, 
But the thing of it is, is that during that time of the case, you as a guardian ad litem are the one consistent person that is in that child's life every month from the time they were sheltered, the time they are either reunified or adopted. Mm. And I can tell you all of the cases I've had in the four years I've been doing this, that is so true because the case managers are like a revolving door. The attrition sure. rate is crazy. Wow. I am the only person. And now when I close a case through whatever means, the kids are always like, but you're Aunt Barbara now. So wow. like, we're still going to see you, right? Mm. And the answer is absolutely mm. yes. So while I have lost my own child, the number of children I have gained in my life is countless. And I've watched them grow and flourish and I get invitations to communions, to graduations, and hopefully someday to weddings. Wow, that is so yeah. awesome. To me, Barbara, that's the gospel. You know, it's out of our loss and brokenness that yeah. by God's grace we can move in, in, into other lives. Because why? It was through the loss and brokenness of Jesus that we can have life and life abundantly. And I appreciate your honesty by saying, hey, you're at a point where you know, you, you hated God and, and you wanted nothing to do with him. Because I know as a pastor, when people's lives change that radically, when everything they thought they knew was real mm. or, or what they were hoping for was shattered, when 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 dreams are so shattered, there's no chance of recovering them. I mean, it's, it's like you're a different person, you said. There's no going yeah. back. You, you're, you're not going to be the same person. That That's that's too big of an event. Uh, at that point, you are, at a, although God showed you a crossroads later, that is a crossroads. And I, I, as a pastor, plead with people saying, you know, hey, don't run away from God at this point. You know, run to him. Most, a lot of times they're not ready. And, and I, I get that. And I think that a lot of them, and I understand, that's no judgment, will say, forget it. You know, it's, I, I've even had in my own thought process, in my own prayer time, that I've tried to barter with God. Like, uh, hey, God, if you, mm. if you know, if you touch one of my ch a child, if one of my children are, are going to go to be with you, I'm out. You know, I'm, I'm done. I'm not doing that anymore. And it's kind of humbling to think mm. as if the kingdom of God is going to stop because Jeff Jakes is out, you know, and I realize, oh, Lord, I don't have much to barter with. And I, I don't know. His ways aren't our ways. And your son's name was Jeffrey. And I didn't have yeah. a chance to know him, but I feel connected to him with just that name. And, uh, um, but Barbara, you know, what, what I love about our God is he is big enough to handle your true emotions. And mm -hmm. he doesn't want us to pretend. He doesn't want us to pretend that you're not ticked and you're not running. Um, and I always would say, it's not our grip on God that wins the day because we're going to lose it. Um, I'm going to lose it. It's his grip on us. And he's not going to let you go. And I would still rather have Jeffrey here than have all the things that you've learned. I, I would still choose that. And I don't know in the broken world why this was a cross that you've had to bear. But... I just want you to know you're like a hero because you've done it in a way that you've helped others. And it doesn't, it'll never replace Jeffrey, but you've been a blessing. And, uh, you know, God, uh, we're wounded healers because yeah. um, uh, <laughs> the way we, and it's a, it's a book. I don't know if Larry Crabb, uh, a famous uh, psychologist wrote, I think it was Wounded Healers. I'm on thin ice right now. But basically, we are healed through the wounds of another, and that's what we are. We're wounded healers. And so, you know, I think the empathy, the sympathy to tell you the story. And then kind of lastly, um, just to kind of take this full circle, you know, you you said something early on. You said a lot of these children who are placed in a foster care system, 
um, again, because of nothing on their own. And they don't even know necessarily what happened. All of a sudden their world is upside down and they're in a strange place. But they have almost this universal propensity to own it. It's like yeah. they did something wrong, you know, that they they were the reason that it happened. And it reminds me of one of my favorite movies of all time. That, that There's a scene in a movie that's just unbelievable. And it's never can capture real life the way you've gone through it. And it's a it's a pretty vulgar movie. It's uh, maybe a pastor doesn't always say it, but it's Goodwill Hunting, and uh, you know, in Goodwill Hunting, uh, the the character Will, um, incredible. It's played by Matt Damon, but who had been through such brokenness growing up, and Robin Williams, who plays the counselor, just keeps telling Will, "It's not your fault. Mm-hmm. Will, it's not your fault." Yeah. And, and, and and that scene where they eventually embrace, and he is sobbing, having someone say. It wasn't your fault that your dad put out his cigarettes in your arm. It wasn't your fault that you were abused the way you were. It wasn't your fault. And uh, gosh, you know, that's just so powerful for a young person to be able to be told. And, uh, you know, that's that's our God. Our God is going to uh, keep pursuing us and bring people in the life to shine the light of Christ into dark places and you know, we want to say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I, I hate these stories, and uh, um, but I love these stories, and because they're stories of redemption. And hey, what a so King's Chapel, what a privilege is ours. And now we've heard the backstory. You know, we've heard this is uh, God's brought redemption in this, and so we got a chance to partner, which is fantastic. So hey, thanks for sharing. Thanks for being. Yeah, available. I do have one more thing I want to add to it because I think it's an important aspect that you need to know about these kids. Um, what you were just saying, how the kids, you know, they need to learn that it's not their fault. And that is a big part of what this organization does in partnering with the Guardian Ad Litem program. I know I've had so many conversations. I have kids of various different ages, so where it's appropriate. What I tell the kids is you have zero responsibility for the actions that your parents took. Mm but you have 100% accountability for what you do with it moving forward. Mm -hmm. And that what I try to teach them, what I have learned through my experience and my journey and the loss of my son is the forgiveness, if you can believe it. Because people looked at me and said, well, you're going to go for the death penalty on this person that killed your son, you know? And I always thought that I would, Jeff. I mean, I thought I was an eye for an eye kind of person. But when it happened to me and the state came to me and said, you know, we, we're going to the grand jury, we're going to get this indictment. Um, and I just said, no. And, and they just looked at me like I was crazy. And I got a lot of backlash from family members that thought I was turning my back on my son. And I said, all I know is I can't bring this kind of pain on another woman. And while that boy may suffer the same fate that my son did, I know what his mother will suffer. And she had no part in this. And whether she did or she didn't, it's just, it's not right. It didn't make sense to me. I didn't know how to figure all that out. But when push came to shove and we got to the sentencing hearing, I had one opportunity to speak. And I had to sit down and write my my victim impact statement. I hope you never have to do that. Mm. And I didn't know where to go with it. I got stuck. And I was so mad at God, still hated him. So I called on someone that I relied on at that time for pastoral direction. And he said to me, what did you do as a child? How did you worship? What was important to you? I said, well, every night as a child, I said the Lord's Prayer as my bedtime prayer. 
is let's say it. So we did. And when we got to the part about forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, I knew right away that I had to forgive that boy at that hearing. And I did publicly in an open court. And it was at that very moment that I found God again. Mm. And when people say the power in forgiveness, you don't need to look any further than what God gave his son to forgive for us so we could have the freedom. And there is power in forgiveness. So I try to teach that to these kids that your parents made big bad mistakes and no, it's not your fault. And the best way you can get rid of that baggage is to forgive them, not to say it was okay, but to do the forgiveness. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's that's uh, grace and mercy, forgiveness. That's the gospel. You know, okay. the scripture says that we are to be the aroma of Christ, and you didn't know it because you mm -hmm. felt far from God, but he wasn't far from you, Barbara. No. And even the whole time you said this, um, I just love seeing him run after you, and he was running after you. And whether that's sitting on the couch with you when you had nowhere else to go, or that's going down with you the Ronald McDonald house when you realize I can't do a full-time job, I can't get Kate stay out of the house for more than an hour or two, or whatever, or that, uh, what was it, uh, uh, Casa coming up continually. Yeah, the pop-up. Let, let me tell you, I, I'm telling you, God's hand, invisible hand of grace and sovereignty and love and care, he was weeping with you. And Casa, and, and, meaning home. Yeah. Like he was calling me home. He was home. calling you home. He was, he was, and then that you're calling others home. It's, uh, it's beautiful. It's, it's redemption. That you see what, what makes this story so beautiful. It is a story of redemption, and not, you know, hey, we're not, we're not home yet, and there's still yeah. going to be broken pieces, and we're still going to get ticked and confused, and we're not going to do it perfectly. But wow, what, a, what a story! Wasn't that pretty amazing, Brooks? Amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. an amazing story. So God does amazing things and works in mysterious ways. He does, and through broken people like us. So, uh, yeah. hey, thanks for bringing us uh, not just the story. Man, that, that's worth gold. And uh, But thanks for letting us be a part of this program. And thanks for being such a good organizer, having all this stuff ready for us, Barbara Carpenter. Uh, that, pretty darn good. I love that. This program is my passion, so you'll have no problem with that. I look forward to the next project, but I know this one is going to be a huge success. And I think so, too. Already really had do. a lot of people approach us after the um, service asking other ways that they could help. So. Isn't that awesome? It is. It's amazing. Here we go. It's Just amazing. Begun. Here we go. All right. Well, let me let me pray for us. Let's close in prayer. Father God, you, we turn to you and, and you know the pain of losing a son and um, God, not just from a distance, but you know it, um, you know it, uh, you saw it, you witnessed it. Um, it wasn't a phone call from um, a homicide uh, a detective, um, Lord, you, you, you saw your own son perish and he was innocent. Um, it was nothing because of his own that led him there, but by your grace and mercy, that same kind of grace and mercy that would allow Barbara to forgive her son's killer. Uh, that's incredible. God, that's not human. That's just not right. If it's the only thing explanation of that is that's divine. That's of you uh, because you demonstrated that for us um, that while we were still sinners, while we deserve death penalty, um, you gave us life and you did it through the sacrifice of your son. And we're so grateful. We really are. We're so grateful. 
Um, Lord, um, now we, we ask that your kingdom would come. We do ask that you would forgive us. The power of forgiveness, wow. I mean, the Christian life is really about repenting and believing, repenting and believing, and um, we need to do that daily. And the power of forgiveness, we thank you that it's, it's available to us um, through Christ. And Lord, we, we pray blessing on Barbara and Mike and Joan and the Carpenter family. And uh, Lord, we, um, we, we pray a blessing on their children as well, their, their new grandson, Maverick. Uh, so excited for Randy and Corey. And also Michael, and Michael's wife's name is... Uh, Christine. Christine. Hey, Christine. Um, uh, and Father God, uh, just thank you for him. We ask blessing on her as a uh, guardian ad litem. We ask blessing on her as she helps lead King's Chapel uh, through this great opportunity uh, with friends and children in Central Florida. God, for your glory, for the good of our neighbor, do great things we pray in Christ's name.